What are you doing out in the snow? It's 32 degrees below zero Celsius. And my dad is working hard, looking beyond the extents of hypothermia, hypochondria, and all the elements combined, he works to build a fence. A true servant, a true worker, a true exhibit of hard work and ethics. This is my father in whom I am well pleased. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking? Then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack, where the people there don't suck, or at least their jobs don't. So, in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. Now entering the Bitcoin podcast network. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, we in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them, acquire, never sell, but catch us rolling deep like a Dell. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin Podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode 209. I'm your first host, Marcello. And uh, I'm host number two, Dimitric. Host number three, Corey. Straight out of a 1970s game show. Yeah. Come on down. Boom, boom, boom. The Price is Right is such a such a clutch show. It's still good. I haven't seen it in years. That's just me going off of my soul. Oh, you just assume it's still good. 
Yeah, man, there's no way to make that show bad. And they brought on Drew Carey and it's still good. Hey, Drew Carey is a is a solid white man. Yeah, he is. But I mean he's no Bob Barker. Hey, Drew Carey was in the crypto a couple years ago. What are we still in there? Don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. He was playing Second Life like it was going out of style. How do we put quotations on into when you say into crypto? Uh, back in like 2012, when they had those little celebrity in the crypto list, like Ashton Kutcher and Drew Carey and like two other people. He so was in there. If it was back in 2012, then he said Bitcoin once and then he was into crypto. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He don't have it tatted on him like our boy Kim Bozak. Oh, no, no, no. Here we go. <laughs> Drew Carey. I just tried to buy dinner with Bitcoin at our lounge in New York City. In 2012? Mm. That was in 2013. Oh, nope. There was not enough on and off ramps back then for that to happen. <laughs> hashtag when will the world catch up to my hipness? It was it. That was his hashtag? Yes. Well done, Drew That's Carey. That's a very long hashtag. That is an ineffective hashtag. I yeah. like it. I like the inappropriate use of hashtags. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Our hashtag that seems to be the best. Hashtag not investing advice is pretty long, but um, yeah, none of this stuff is investing advice for all you lames. What about Thamos's bitch made? That never caught on like it should have. That never caught on. It did not catch on. Thamos is bitch made, though. I think he's part of the reason there's such a man today. Not today. Tuesday. I was like having like a kumbaya meditation session. I do that sometimes. It's also called boredom. But then I was like, man, why can't the two communities just get along? And I was like, it's too far gone. Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core will never, ever agree on the simplest shit ever. It's it's too far gone. You know, uh, I will say that um, you can post stuff inside the BTC subreddit. It'll just get it'll get downvoted and hated on by a lot of by a lot of uh, Bitcoin Cash lovers. But at least it doesn't get taken off the subreddit. Like R slash Bitcoin is still incredibly censored. Like yep. if you say certain things, your shit gets taken off immediately. When we posted the Roger Ver episode. It was just it was just taken away on R slash Bitcoin. On R slash BTC, it was downvoted to oblivion because so, I think they know that we like Segwit or something. Well he's given a quarter of a million dollars to uh revise the censorship on there. No, he said he, he said that he would do that. That was a long time ago. I doubt it'll actually ever happen. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't who cares? It's the I care, man. I used to that love going in everybody. two very different directions. We get they're not going very different directions. I see. I think that they are. Like, like I think their character is. I don't think that they have different goals. It's almost like they're like, "Hey guys, we're gonna get to the river," and they're like, "We should walk right and then pass." And then the other group of people is like, "We should walk left and then cross the river." And they're like, "No, that's you're 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 stupid for thinking we should go right." And then there's one guy in the way background that's like, isn't the goal still to cross the river? I don't see why we can't just meet you on the other side. I, I like it. I mean, I, I, would, I don't like it. I think it's okay, personally. 
because I get to see two completely different roadmaps starting from the original one working on trying to solve a problem. And all the surface level bullshit is exactly that. Just surface level bullshit. The people who are arguing like that really don't matter. Like, like all of the trolls and the subreddits who are like vehemently hating on the other person, they just don't matter. Like they're, they're not going to be in the history books. They're not going to be worthwhile. They're not building anything. Who cares? I mean, um, Roger Ver has influenced and uses money to push a certain narrative. He, will be remembered because he's been relatively influential and has a shitload of money and has made a lot of changes. Bitcoin cash being probably one of them, but the rest of it, and he's just trying to push an ideology and he has a bunch of money. So people listen to him. There's a bunch of dumb shit that like he owns Bitcoin.com. He owns the Bitcoin handle for Twitter. And that confuses a lot of people. But guess what? When you join this space, you don't only hear the words Bitcoin anymore. If you want to think about like some real non-decentralized technology that's gaining a lot of ground, let's like EOS is getting the like the the screen share of a ton of people based on how much money it's made. And it's like the most centralized thing ever out there. It's super centralized, but I guess people don't care anymore. I think that's I think we're moving towards you know what you should do? You should get astrological with your talk, Corey, and then put some random animals on pendulum swing phases. And you can become like a deity in this space right now. Just like this is the uh, we're headed towards crab phase. Where people just no longer care about centralization. And. And the pendulum is swinging back towards. People are just running their own servers and running cryptocurrencies on them. <laughs> Yeah, we guess we could, <laughs> guess we get to my talking point just off the bat yeah. because that's basically what this is. Okay, let me write mine down so I don't forget. All but. right, so uh, EOS went live um, producing blocks in the main net. Uh, there are something like twenty-one block producers that have been like elevated to the status of block producer, which are the people who are the quote-unquote miners of this of this network. They were the ones that make the blocks and add them to the blockchain. They take turns, they do things, they process all the transactions that people throw at them. They have massive machines that no one can afford, which is why they're block producers, so on and so forth. Um, block producing stopped. It was down for like four to six hours more. I don't know. But no blocks were being produced. And there's some tweets basically saying from one of the block producers that like... Uh, Let's see, where is that tweet? Let's see, take care. We're in the back room where, where the 21 block producers are talking about what's going on. Um, this, is a, this is on the subreddit of EOS, one of the largest, the highest one from u slash STAV07. And the first comment is, I'll just read it. I'm just going to read the comment. The title of the, of the uh, thing is EOS block producing has stopped, question mark. First comment, what's great, in quote, is that the 21 block producers <laughs> are all working in the background to address the situation. What's not great is about that is 21 people are working in a quote-unquote back room to figure out what is going on and are going to take quote-unquote care of it. Everything is under control. Right now, they control this chain. They control this chain when this chain will be restarted. Guess what? Those block producers are going to start developing relationships with one another. Even though these people are supposed to have little in common due to being globally distributed, 
thus ostensibly reducing the possibility of collusion. Of course, they have a lot in common now as big holders of EOS, operators of the network, and recipients of the block rewards. Some of them are going to like each other, while some will not like each other. They'll start to they'll start to click off into subgroups, and then mm. they may eventually start to disagree with one another if EOS <laughs> is lucky. Or, in a possibly worse scenario, they'll all agree with each other and simply bend things in a way that benefit them. Together, they likely control enough tokens to vote and keep each other in power. This is how cartels are born. Call it FUD if you want, but it's just a plausible analysis of what could happen. And even sooner than potentially expected, not all cartels outwardly wear a cartel mask. The rush nature of EOS deployment can even hasten the development of these types of dynamics if block producers are consistently working together to solve problems since block.1 is thrown up in their hands in a sense. <laughs> since block.1 mm. is thrown up in their hands in a sense. Uh, block producers of a decentralized network should not have to work together in such ways. It creates an obvious risk and collusion in the operation of the network. 21 mm. people. There's another one here that I want to get to here. First comment. Uh, other one, mainnet chain pause for three to six hours. We'll resume on block. Uh, looks like 1,027,926. So I mean, we paused the chain, unquote, said nobody ever in a truly decentralized blockchain. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you shouldn't have that power. It's it's just a centralized piece of shit. I mean, like, how can you call it a decentralized application if it's not if if the people who are creating blocks are not decentralized? I think that it's just it's simple preying upon the ignorance of the many, because people still don't know what a cloud is. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's a cloud is not some mythical uh, information moving through the sky where all the information hides. It's people's servers. It's on people's servers. Someone else's computer is what cloud stands for. That's the acronym. Yeah. (laughs) Like I just bought this, this, um, my cloud thing from Western digital. So we could like have redundancy with all of our stuff. And it's not a cloud. I'm staring at the hard drive every time I'm in my living room. Like that's the hard drive and they're calling it a cloud. I think that's just, it's that's just, just bad marketing. Like that's, not, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, just call it up external hard drive. Cause that's all it is. Yeah. And so I think, I think EOS is, 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 is preying upon this, the ignorance of, of, um, of, of everybody. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's a business move. Business well, people. Here's the thing. Like, I, I, I can't be hypocritical here. I keep saying that, like, I don't really care about a lot of a lot of things that people care about in this space, as long as it solves problems. But this clearly isn't even solving problems. Like, I want people to experiment and how to come together on blockchain data structures. Like, I like experimental consensus mechanisms, and then what you can do based on changing the guarantees and trust like trust guarantees you have of a given network that is what eos has done but they've done it in such a drastic way that it's like it's it, it's so riddled with bugs and they're so it's 10 billion dollars and they can't even keep the blocks running for a week what, I, what i'm reading those those 21 people that are sitting on billions uh on eos and can cash out those people are voted on by coin holders, but the voting system requires you to give up your private keys. 
And there's like other super sketchy requirements to participate. If you hold too long, they can take your coins away. Yeah, that's crazy. Which I guess incentivizes um, use of your coins in the network. I mean, there's there's some argument to be made about certain things like that. We don't want to we don't want to make sure that the only reason people have our coin is just to hold onto it for years and years and years and years, which means they're not using it as a store value. They want it to be a useful network for you know enterprise applications and deployment of, of like real business cases. Sure. If that's what you say out the, out, out the gate, that's a reasonable thing to do. But it's not decentralized. It's not trustless. It's not any of these things. And so if you want to take the opportunity to build an application on this thing, you have to understand the guarantees that they could just take your money away. They could collude to basically say your business isn't what we like, so we're not going to process your transactions. They can do all kinds of things. So if you actually are successful in building an application that people use and the people who create blocks for that at work decide that they don't like what you're doing, then you don't, mm -hmm. you no longer exist. That's not trustless. That's not what this thing, all this guarantees. It's just a company. It's the same shit we had previously, just run a mm -hmm. bit differently. Maybe maybe people don't care. Maybe people just think that a high transaction per second capability is more important than decentralization. Well, then use a database. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's 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 like you say. It's, it's, one, I, sometimes I sound a little hip, 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 hip fuck it. Boy, sometimes like a, I sound like an 80s rapper right there. Hip, 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 hypocritical. Sometimes I sound a little hypocritical because, um, you know, I get on my, on my soapbox about like decentralization and, um, but I honestly think that people just don't. They don't care and they won't care. Like when this stuff is to the point where people are using it without knowing it, it's only going to be the you's and me's and possibly cellos if we ever convert them someday that are arbiters of the decentralization and arbiters of the functionality of it because we know how pivotally important that is. Um, but the general public, like, even my family members who still love me and listen to the things that I say about this stuff and actually inquire about things a little bit more than price still are like, well, I just want to be able to use it one day and it'll be comfortable. I don't really care about any of the stuff that you do on your shows. And I'm like, well, it's reasonable. I don't think, I don't think you ever will. I don't think you, I don't think you ever will care, but, uh, and you're right. Most people don't care. Like they just they just want to go about their day with whatever they do care about. That's not computer centric, network related. You know what money is like. We 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 never really thought about money until we got into Bitcoin. Really? Yeah, that's true. I never did like personal research on the history of money before I got. Man, I used to. I loved the story of. Uh, I don't. I don't know what civilization it was, but they kept your account was a, the length of a chisel on a big stone wheel. Oh, yeah, that thing? They just they didn't move the wheel, they just moved the ownership of the wheel? Yeah, that thing is cool. I'm like, whoa, that, that must have been very easy to run a mafia on. You just uh, look at the wheel and see whose kneecaps you need to break. <laughs> I say we just have time on our wrist. You've been watching that's a lot of shows. Oh, wow, like. that's a really original idea. Oh, yeah, like, wait, and so when we pay for stuff, we just move our hand over? 
like yeah, a certain I mean, reader or I think that would be kind of a cool idea for a movie with Justin Timberlake or something. I don't know. I feel like what if what you were shit on and Justin Timberlake would save them? Yeah. <laughs> and then your mom can die because she ran out of time. Yeah, you know what they should put in this movie? A crazy suspenseful scene where he bets his life literally on a hand of poker. I want to say that um, we should just rename the show to Spoiler Alert. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Thanos wins. Are you still waiting for uh, Redbox to get Infinity Wars? Uh, I'm kind of waiting. I'm not going to say what I'm waiting for, but something similar to that. <laughs> Something incredible, I guess. Speaking of that, Incredibles 2 came out. Um, Corey, I watched your bootleg version of Infinity Wars. It's very digestible. Why don't you just watch your own bootleg copy of Infinity Wars? One, I did not download that copy. I don't download bootleg copies of things because quality is is important. And uh, How does your Plex account get populated? I have... um, are we give, allowed to say I this give, on air? I give specific people access to request certain types of downloads, and everything's automated in the background. Do you give them Plex coin? Do you give them Petty coin, and to incentivize them to continue giving you entertainment? No, I just got tired of handling people's requests, so I automated the process. Are you just holding a Raspberry Pi right now? Yes, I am. Fucking nerd! And <laughs> so my dad <laughs> just playing with a Raspberry Pi. Um, <laughs> anyway. Quality is important. I'm not going to watch a movie unless it sounds and looks good. It's not worth my time. I'd rather I'd rather do something else like build an app or talk to y'all or some shit. Read something. Spoken like a true audiophile. I get it, man. Yeah, dude. Not me. I watched your I watched your copy of Jurassic World the other day with Chinese subtitles, and it was okay. Why me? Tell me which one that is. I'm gonna get rid of it. I don't even want that stuff on my computer. Well, it's only out in China right now. So that's why. It's not worth. It's not worth it being on my computer. It's the only copy you have. Okay. So, anyways, let's let's get back to to, to crypto. So, I had a very um because I don't fucking want to. No, I'm kidding. Um. I guess we could throw it to the interview. I mean, why not? Yeah, why not? Give it to them what they want, and we'll have a long, laid-out, random outro. Okay, so, yeah, so you guys know this guy as, uh, well, you newbies to crypto might not know this guy. And that's okay. I'm not trying to build a an elitist um, stratified system based upon how long you've been into crypto, because... Your length of time in this community has nothing to do with you as a person. But um, many moons ago, Dr. Amin Gunsarir um, was very, very, very widely known as someone who was a Bitcoin superhero. Um, he's a very objective professor, works at a Cornell. Um, he's written different scripts for Bitcoin. He does a bunch of research on Bitcoin. I believe he was a part of the group that did the research that found out which blockchain was the most decentralized in the top two were Bitcoin and then Ethereum. Um, he's just a great guy. Um, and he dresses uh, and looks like a Bond villain. Well, but bit. he's not a villain. A little bit. He's a great guy. So, Cello, you want to do your thing with the intro? I did already. You. Well, when when I introed him, you just kept you just kept the intro going. 
Um, yeah. Here it is. <laughs> All right, we're here with um, you know a, a podcast, Bitcoin podcast favorite, uh, Mr. Goon Sirir. He's a computer scientist professor at Cornell University. Uh, Mr. Sirir, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you too. Absolutely. Are you are you by any chance at uh? at consensus right now because i saw you tweeted out if people were able to connect with the people they wanted to reach and wasn't sure if you were just seeing if people were having a similar experience as you or if you wanted to just see if it was a zoo or not no no actually i'm not at consensus this year i decided not to attend um because i attended last year and uh, even though there were so many people there i did not feel like it was a good and efficient way to reach out to so many people to 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 the audience i want to reach out to i gave a talk but there were so many concurrent ones that the entire uh, crowd was divided too much at least in my opinion I'm sure it works for some people. That's why it gathers so much uh, interest. That's why there's so many people there. And of course, the after parties were great. So it is a social event. I'm missing out on it. Um, but I am attending Token Summit uh, on Thursday. So uh, I'll be in New York City in a smaller setting uh, with a diff- slightly different crowd. It'll be it'll be fun, I think. Good deal. So, I mean, I guess we can hop right into the, to the deep talk, deep conversations. There seems to be... Um... You know, I think the last time we talked was almost two years ago. There wasn't this great divide among the greater Bitcoin community uh, between the two camps. We've got Bitcoin Cash and we have Bitcoin. Um, do you see that as, a, as, as what happened last year, that fork? Is it a long term? Uh, I guess, is it a net negative on Bitcoin or was it good that? The two different camps got to go their separate routes. I think it was a fantastic thing that happened. Um, I was sick and tired of the whole scaling debate. Uh, It had degenerated. It had moved far away from science uh, by a mile and a half. So, uh, so it was time. It's like, um, you know, when you have friends and you like them and, uh, and they're married to each other and they're constantly fighting. And at some point they decide to get a divorce and, Everybody in the friend circle is like, oh, my God, that's that's both sad and also the exactly the right thing for this couple. So that's how I feel about the Bitcoin uh, versus uh, Bitcoin cash communities. And um, they split up and I think they should go their separate ways. They have different visions for how this thing should evolve. And those visions are not compatible. They tried to compromise and uh, one side was unrelenting in its in uh, in what it wanted to have happen. And um, and so so there was no compromise to be had. And so a split, a divorce, an exit is exactly the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we just talked we just talked to Roger Ver and he was talking about or there was a claim that Bitcoin blocks are too large and so on and so forth. And so we, we kind of had this debate and then I think D and I kind of got tired of debating about it and just kind of let them win. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think the debate is just not going anywhere. Right. We, we've, we've discussed this to death. Um, 
the um, the two sides have put forth their best arguments, and uh, um, and then the, you know the discussion points, the bullet points change, and and the the sort of the, the goalposts moved quite a bit over the years. So at some point, it just kind of became unpleasant to even engage, and uh, and then of course the trolls come out, the the attack dogs for hire that get you know that that some people sick on the opposing camp, the DDoS attacks. It was just unpleasant. So uh, it's best if everybody. Everybody moves in their own direction, um, and uh, we'll see the result. Yeah, to me, it just, it doesn't make much sense because it, it feels like you know it feels like cello. If you and me were like in a city and trying to walk around, and I was like, "Hey, we need to cross the street," and you're like, "I think we need to go to this intersection to the left and cross the street," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Let's go to this intersection to the right and cross the street. Look at it," mm-hmm. and then we just got in a huge argument, and then <laughs> didn't even end up crossing the street to begin with. Like that, that's what it almost feels like is everybody wants Bitcoin to scale. Everybody wanted Bitcoin to scale. It's mm-hmm. just the how to get there seems foolish that it could get to the point where there was a hard fork, but that's just my two cents. Yeah. Well, luckily these are very resilient systems. So we have two healthy chains, uh, two credible communities around both. And, um, um, at least, uh, uh, well, I don't know. I think one of the uh, one of the forks is very well defined uh, by the white paper. Um, although the limits to that definition, you know, when what what happens when they run into a physical limit is unclear. But it's also unclear if they're going to run into that physical limit anytime soon. And then the other community is experimenting with a lot of exciting and new and unknown ideas. Um, yeah, they're doing a bit of YOLO, what we call YOLO system design, where you just kind of go like, YOLO, I don't know what I'm exactly doing. I haven't done a feasibility study. I don't have a spec. I don't have a white paper anymore. Uh, but it's got interesting components, and I think I can wing it. So uh, so we'll see what emerges. It's, it's going to be an exciting time either way. I am a fan of YOLO. I don't know <laughs> if I like I'm, if I'm a fan of YOLO in this instance. So well, I don't know. With your, YOLO with your life savings is a is a dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had the most fun with in some settings where I said YOLO and I tried stuff. So you know, uh, I'm I'm okay with it. YOLO requires ultimate faith in your leaders. I think that's why we see so much religious talk from one camp. Um, you have to you have to just deeply believe that you'll you, you know you'll encounter problems. Um, you have to deeply believe that you have the manpower, the, the sort of the intellectual uh, force to sort of deal with these problems as you see them, as you encounter them. Um, we'll see. We'll see if the incentive structure is there to attract and keep that uh, intellectual power. Um, you know, we'll see if they'll be able to solve these problems. You know, not everything is solvable in computer science. There are some fundamental challenges that are going to be difficult. Uh, some of us can anticipate what uh, you know. A few of these are going to be. So, um, so you know, it's going to be exciting times. We'll we'll see what what transpires. It's a uh, it's funny you mention that because I get in some interesting conversations lately, um, and I always like to point out that you know computer science is great, but it's not going to solve like humanity. It's not going to like humans are still going to interact with this technology the way humans typically interact with technology. And then we've given rise in the past few years of like there's even some like strong political camps in crypto. And what's I thought it was kind of neat that 
I'm kind of on the ground floor with watching these new age political parties spark up because that's what it, that's what it feels like. It's, it's going to have to happen if, if enough value enters something and then you have these interested parties um, that want that value to do this, do A or do B, um, you're just going to get this emergence of political systems. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's just what happens. It's human nature. And right. um, it's, I'm, I'm interested to know what you think. You said, you know, we could see some things coming down the line that com- computer science can't fix. And uh, what, what would you say some of those would be? So let me get to that, but but you you put your finger on a very interesting uh, topic, which is uh, this sort of political formation uh, around Bitcoin. And um, so um, so exactly, I, I I can see. I have often thought about whether or not Bitcoin is a smaller microcosm of sort of the the world at large. We see some of the main trends that play out there also play out in in Bitcoin and crypto circles. Or, or vice versa, um, but uh, but something that kind of concerns me on that front is for us to see interesting behaviors, interesting political thoughts emerge. We have to see a richness of ideas. We have to see you know a whole lot of use cases, a whole lot of different people trying to use the chain, a lot of adoption, and and more and more diverse people. And over time, and especially through the fork, I think we saw. A uh, sort of a, a more homogenization of uh, of of the community, especially the BTC community, ended up going down this route where they started pushing this store of value narrative, and uh, that narrative is not borne out um, by uh, uh, by all that much. And as you can see, since December, the price has actually gone down quite a bit. So anybody who bought into that narrative in December is currently cursing everybody who ever made that. And, I personally find it irresponsible. Um, and in fact, my inbox is full of, uh, you know, all sorts of messages that I can get into uh, from people who invested because of the store of value narrative and were let down. So um, so this whole HODL narrative and store of value narrative, I find quite irresponsible. And also uh, I find um, to act as an obstacle to us experiencing that that state that you mentioned. That is, we're not going to see all that, all that much that's exciting if everybody wants to just hodl, get rich, and sell sell their coins to the next bag holder, um, that's not an interesting system to me. And if that's what Bitcoin becomes, I'm I'm ditching my coins at exactly that point in time. So I hope we'll see more exciting things. I hope we'll see uh, an emergent layer two network that's really rich and really interesting, and has in bizarre topologies that nobody could have expected, and and interesting dynamics and so forth. Uh, and we'll see different political views come in. We, we, I hope we'll see uh, people coming into the space for reasons other than getting rich personally. So that would all be fantastic. So, uh, but you asked something else at the end of this, which was, what are some fundamental issues that we can? Okay, so you asked about uh, what uh, what some issues are that we can anticipate uh, that we'll face as we develop layer two solutions. I think one of them that's really fundamental is a trade-off between uh, privacy and efficiency in layer two networks. And uh, what I mean by that is the following inherent tension. What you want to do to route money effectively is you want to understand 
the, uh, the, the state of all payment channels between everybody in the world. So there will be some number of nodes and they will have um, you know, some amount of coins tied up into them. And you want to find a path through here whereby I can get to my good friend in Seattle and pay him. Uh, or maybe not so good friends, so I have to go through multiple hops. So um, to find a good route, to find a short route, um, I need to know what's going on in the network. I need to know the state of the channels. But if I can query the network with that frequency to, to find out what's happening, then I get to observe what's happening in the network. I get to see money flow. I get to see who's paying whom. I get to see the credit relationship between two parties that I happen to know a little bit about through other means. And I, I get to watch it change in real time. I get to see you receive money on a, in a regular fashion from your employer, perhaps, and pay other people in a regular fashion, uh, you know, every so often. I don't know what they are, maybe, but I can see their potentially see their amounts and uh, potentially make inferences. So that is inherent. There is no way we can resolve this tension. It's the same tension we see when it comes to routing packets on the internet. To route effectively, you need to know what's happening inside the network. But as you find out more about what's happening in the network, then you get to, to learn more. You get to reveal more about the privacy, uh, private information of the endpoints. So that tension is not going to be resolved. There's, there's no way that we can find the one routing protocol on the internet that makes everybody happy. We don't have such a thing. There are many, many routing protocols, so many that when I used to teach a course on peer-to-peer -peer routing, uh, it would last at least, uh, I don't know how many, at least eight lectures, maybe 10 lectures of um, of routing protocols alone. There are so many of them. Uh, why? Because nobody is happy with any single one of them. And the same is true <laughs> for layer two routing. It's, it's you, you can come up with something and I can come up with a different trade-off. And, you know, if you thought the scaling debate was bad, so the, private, the routing privacy debate is going to be far worse. There will be no good solution. And from a dev's perspective, it's going to be super unsatisfying because they won't be able to defend anything. They, it's like, I did something, and it, it can come under criticism, and, and there will be, and somebody can do something else. And, and then that, you can play that game all day long. So it's going to be unsatisfying, and those systems uh, are inherently... Uh, prone to being uh, mined for um, privacy violating information. So, so that's, that's a concern that's not going anywhere. It's also a concern that I don't see addressed or even mentioned or acknowledged. So um, when I see that happening, I get really concerned. Uh, sadly, in these times when uh, the BTC community, the, the Bitcoin core community, uh, goes to our Bitcoin on Reddit, it's a censored platform. Uh, they conduct their uh, discussion in a, in a way where you cannot really bring up opposing viewpoints. Uh, they have an echo chamber that amplifies the same message. It's really disconcerting because as a technical person looking in, I can see this is an issue and I'd like to see it addressed. Are, the, are those your main security threats in cryptocurrency uh, uh, in 2018? No, no, far from it. Uh, so this is just one concern, uh, a fundamental one for uh, layer two uh, systems. 
Um, so there are many others. I can name another security concern for layer two. Layer two requires a functioning layer one. And uh, when it's time to close your layer two, well, then you will have to uh, go down and hit that layer one, the underlying blockchain. And if you don't have space there, then suddenly you can get into all sorts of uh, terrible dynamics. Fees can skyrocket and people can launch attacks where uh, channels all close at the same time. And at that point in time, there is not enough space uh, to, to contest um, the, uh, the early closures that other people can, uh, can, can try to launch. A third problem has to do with, what shall I name? Uh, there are so many. Uh, we can just go through quite a few of them. Third problem with uh, payment channels is the amount of money that gets tied in in channels and the the causing uh, the the resulting um, uh, drop in liquidity. That's a problem. A fourth problem, that's a security problem, is the inherent centralization of on-ramps and off-ramps and all these other accoutrements that you have to have. Uh, they have these, uh, what is it, watchdogs that have to watch the uh, blockchain for you. You're supposed to pay them. Uh, they are not expected to do much, but you're supposed to pay them anyway. It's a strange world. Um, and, uh, you know, I can go on and on like this, but uh, layer two is, is fraught with difficulties. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's far from uh, being all worked out and its impact on the ecosystem is far from mapped out clearly. So, uh, but we're living through it. We're yellowing through it. And uh, we'll see how it evolves. I'm not saying it's going to fail at all. That uh, Don't misunderstand me. These are not um, unsolvable, I guess, uh, but they're hard. <laughs> and they're not satisfactorily solvable for all. I will say that. So there will be malcontents no matter what you do for quite a few of these problems. So... Um, so that's a strange, uh, strange scenario. And as as time goes on, um, I'm I'm curious how the narratives will shift, how people will change uh, their minds, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's very interesting, Cello. Cello, you bring it up all the time, Cello. How our show sometimes feels like we're historians, like we get all this recorded history uh, of these snapshots in the industry, and if you if people go back and listen, they can see just how much of things have changed, have grown, even in this short few years. Um, and it's not going to be any different. I don't see there, I don't see any slowing down to the onslaught of the block blockchain, not Bitcoin um, what, narrative, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. So it's yeah. interesting that you mentioned um, everyone is yellowing and <laughs> All these second layer solutions that you say there's going to be many, many solutions to solve these problems. It's yeah. almost like we're witnessing, but it's just this weird sensationalist, very 2018 version uh -huh. of us trying to figure out these different protocols, I guess. Yeah. I so you guys are historians to a very exciting time, right? In, in computer science history. And, um, and, uh, and, and it's, it's super, it's why well, I feel so lucky to be, you know, living through uh, what we're living through. It's, it's a lot of fun for sure. There is going to be a lot of excitement coming up. Uh, there will be scams. There will be all sorts of uh, bizarre events as there always have been. Um, and yet at the same time, there's an immense amount of investment in core tech development. That's wonderful to see. You see at the same time, the, the lay public getting into the business of funding startups directly through ICOs. And that's 
at once crazy and awesome at the same time. You, you know, you see, you hear of people buying all these tokens and tiny little startups and trying new ideas. So I've never seen this much excitement uh, before in tech. I've lived through the dot-com boom. It was exciting for sure, but it wasn't this exciting. Um, and uh, we've also seen, of course, the you know, last time I spoke to you, I guess it was two years ago. Since then, the scene has changed quite a bit, right? So now hashtag Lambo is a thing. Uh, the Bitcoin rich is a thing. There's, this thing is getting much more traction. Just about every company is... Uh, formulating a blockchain strategy. And that's a wonderful thing to see. So, um, and what we'll begin to see in the next few years, if I if I may make some predictions, uh, let's just see where we are in two years, but let me make a few. Um, I think this coming year will be the year of proof of stake. And the year after that will be the year of uh, brand new, super exciting protocols. That is, we're going to see uh, protocols that are not like Bitcoin, that are not proof of work, and they're also not proof of stake. There's something else, something different, and uh, it's going to be exciting on that front. Um, we will see the lay public get into the ICO business. Um, I am curious to see what will happen afterwards. So uh, we might have the SEC intervene and clamp it all down, but I think it's too hard to stop right now. So, um, so, uh, so we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see. I think more vehicles for the the regular public to invest in high tech ventures, and 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 that's fantastic. Um, and of course, the next two things. Let me last last two things I'll mention. The back ends of a lot of companies have to change. So if you're in the business of maintaining a gazillion databases and the cloud presence and this and that, you're a traditional company. You will probably have to at least add a blockchain backend if not entirely replace your backend and um, and so that's a simple easy prediction to make but the next one is a bit bigger i think a lot of companies that exist today are facing an extinction level event there will be new business models enabled by blockchains and we'll begin to see these emerge in the next three years or so and uh, we, we will see competitors come in with completely new business models where it's much more peer-to-peer, -peer, much less regular structure, no discernible corporate structure, uh, but or organized on-chain, uh, administered on-chain, and mostly autonomously administered. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's going to pose an enormous threat to incumbents. Yes, uh, very similar to how consensus is operating right now. Mm -hmm. uh, consensus is operating like no company I've ever seen before and doing it very, very well. Um, so that's going to be the case study, in my opinion, to what you just said. Uh, if you're trying not to be like the dinosaurs, maybe look into how consensus is operating. Absolutely. But, I think they, are, they have a very innovative, almost incubator-like model, and they're attacking a, a gazillion problems in parallel. Yep. Well, um, speaking about the future i know you had this the spring retreat was a couple of days ago or what kind of innovation solutions did you see regarding uh blockchain adoption that they come up with indeed that's a good question so we had the ic3 retreat uh, a few days ago i guess that it was last uh, last thursday so maybe four, five days ago so uh, there have been uh, quite a few innovative new technologies developed at IC3, and uh, we will see these begin to hit mainstream um, in the next coming few weeks, months, um, and uh, it's going to be exciting. We have uh, innovations at the network layer, at the lowest layer, uh, about how 
one can quickly disseminate financial information. So that is an overlooked part of the protocol stack. Most people have been focusing on the consensus layer or the virtual machine layer or the smart contracts themselves. Uh, but uh, few people have looked at how to get the data across, across the globe very, very fast. I suspect there is room for an Akamai-like company to emerge. And um, uh, so my group has been working on this. We have a company called BlocksRoute that is looking exactly into doing this. When you start to push the boundaries of what a consensus protocol is capable of, when you start to clear thousands or tens of thousands of transactions per second, you run into difficulties that Bitcoin folks have not seen yet. And so, um, and they, they happen to be in the network. They happen to be in the dissemination stage. So that's an exciting area. There is much, much to be done there. Layer up in the consensus layer, we have new protocols and new protocol families. So to date, there are only two protocol families that people have generally been working in. So one of them is what I call the Lamport-Liskov family, uh, or what some people will know as classical consensus. So this is the stuff from 1980s, and uh, it's very well understood. And it is the foundation, the backbone of permission ledgers. So anybody, any company that's looking to deploy a DLT, a distributed ledger technology, is typically going to be deploying a classical uh, Byzantine consensus protocol. PBFT is one of them. Uh, Tendermint is one of them. There are many others. Corda, Quorum, uh, these all are based on classical consensus models. And uh, it's a fantastic family. There, is, there are many protocols inside this family. And uh, the people who came up with sort of the early works in this area, uh, Lamport and Liskov, both have Turing awards. They're, they're fantastic people with uh, huge contributions because the core idea here is, is, is fundamental. The second family, of course, is Nakamoto consensus. And uh, Satoshi was brilliant in that um, he sidestepped some, some difficulties and came up with a way of doing consensus that is permissionless. So you don't need permission to enter. Nobody has to know you're part of the system. You can just participate. So that's a wonderful technique, except it's not green. It's very it's very consumptive of energy. It, it eats up as much as uh, uh, twice twice the energy of Denmark in a few years. At, at the moment, I think it's just one Denmark. It's projected to be two Denmarks very, very soon. So that's a lot of energy. It's it's multiple, multiple uh, atomic reactors worth of energy going into mining. So, so but, and, and Satoshi got well compensated for his breakthrough. He got, I think he has about $10 billion uh, if he can convert it all to cash. So, um, so those are the, and, but why would he, right? <laughs> so if he's successful, he'd have all the coins in the world. So, um, so those are great. So that's two families, but that is not the whole story. And there are many other techniques that one could imagine uh, for accomplishing, uh, for maintaining a DLT or for keeping track of a cryptocurrency. And so we're going to see those emerge in the coming weeks. And uh, I'm really excited about what's to come on that front. Uh, brand new consensus fa uh, protocol families that uh, are uh, so different that they bring something, that, you know, they, they do what I thought could not be done, which is combine the best of classical consensus with Nakamoto consensus. So, so that we'll see, I think. Uh, and then the layer up in the smart contract layer, we have a lot of technologies for ensuring that smart contracts are correct by construction. So we're pushing on that front. And uh, maybe, okay, not finally, I lied one more. Um, we've also been thinking about how to merge 
legacy applications with uh, smart contracts with with blockchains. Mm. So it sounds like it's going to be an exciting next couple of years. I'm thrilled. You know, we've done, there's been so much work done by, um, you know, mostly, of course, by our brilliant students. Our graduate students are fantastic. And, uh, and you know, IC3 is this conglomerate organization. It's uh, Cornell, Berkeley, University of Illinois, Technion, EPFL, ETH Zurich, University of College London. So, um, so there's a there's a lot of of of, of uh, uh, so the researcher power there, and uh, we have a lot of students working on these topics, and and the results are now trickling out, and they're fantastic. Have you seen? So you have a very unique lens. I mean, you're also a professor. So have you seen just a rise of just interest? all around like are your classes filling up where people are emailing you like hey dr sarir i'm really trying to get in your class but it says it's full can you can you override it for me like is that are you expecting that you are describing my inbox from january that's exactly (laughs) Uh, i had i started a six thousand level course so that's a phd level course and you know when a lot of my colleagues open these up and uh they get somewhere between three to seven phd students and uh, they're happy if they get like more than 10 and uh, you know that's a hot area i had like 80 plus students in my class wow and uh, it's insane um so you know undergraduates were flocking in and uh and then, of course, then there's all like the you know what do you do? Okay, there's only one of me, um, so that's that's the demand from the students. They they are they're flocking in. The what is even more amazing than this is the demand for the students because now there is a shortage of blockchain qualified people for every opening. My suspicion is there is somewhere between. So sorry for every student. My suspicion is there is somewhere between ten to thirty open positions. So it's a, it's a wide open field out there. If anybody can find someone who has, who has been into blockchains for two or more years, you know, that's just, that's so super rare that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's considered a huge success to get somebody who has two years or more of experience. So that's exploding. Startups are exploding. I, um, I get, you know, a gazillion uh, requests to advise startups. And um, uh, what else are we seeing? I mean, just across the board, my colleagues um, from all sorts of other departments are uh, now excited about the topic. They're coming to me and saying, well, I work in, you know, you name it, uh, any other topic, um, sometimes social sciences, sometimes, um, you know, real estate, even um, uh, hotel management, uh, school of hotel finance, of course, econ, of course, and uh, math and, and other fields, of course. Uh, and they want to understand how their work uh, can apply to blockchains. That to me is probably the most exciting thing that I've heard in some time regarding mm-hmm. this industry is that academia is really taking a hold and trying to get involved um, because academia pushes the limits of a lot of things behind the scenes. People don't really realize that, but it does. And that to me is really exciting that there's that much interest, 80 kids in a PhD course or not kids. I shouldn't say kids, 80 people <laughs> trying to register for a PhD level course is uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty gleaning. It, so. it was it was amazing to see. Yeah, no, I think uh, this is it's a fantastic time to to be in, in the midst of all this. 
you're talking directly to our audience that have the experience that have been listening to us for years, probably right. fooling around with blockchain programming here and there. Uh, you're a valuable person. So if you don't like your job, I'm pretty sure you can find a great one in crypto right now. Most definitely. And you guys have been visionaries. You've been doing this for quite a while. And, um, uh, you know, we, we came a long way. We came from a fringe technology that people said, you know, hey, what's this good for? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, pointed out some issues with it. That's true. Uh, but we've been knocking uh, many of these technical challenges out of the ballpark. So it's an exciting time. And of course, the audience that has been with you, it's amazing. It's, it's Everyone's been like that audience has been in this for, for a long time. I'm, I'm still waiting on my invite though, to the John Oliver offices, though. I mean, oh. you, <laughs> it hasn't come in yet. I, I got that invite to the John Oliver offices because I, I collaborated with them on uh, on the episode that they did, and uh, I spent uh, I spent somewhere between four and five hours on the phone with them, and um, and fact checked, um, and they are amazingly thorough. So I have spoken to um, just about every single press outlet that there is, uh, from the New York Times, you know, Wall Street Journal, Wapo. Um, BBC, CNN, you name it. Um, and uh, by far the most amount of vetting got done by the John Oliver folks. They are incredibly careful. They checked uh, different ways of phrasing things so as not to be incorrect. Um, it's you know, you read these articles in the press sometimes that sort of have like, even if like a, a small sentence is wrong or has the wrong, you know, implies the wrong implication, uh, you lose respect for for that outlet. And uh, I think the John Oliver show totally nailed it. And, uh, and that's because of the diligence of the people working there. And they are funny as heck. So uh, it was fantastic to uh, to hang out with them. They did. They nailed it. They alienated me even more amongst my Facebook friends. <laughs> great. Um, but I've done a good job of that myself, being so passionate about Bitcoin in the past few, what, yeah. six years. Cello, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why you alienated you, yourself. <laughs> why did you say they alienated you? I oh, I get passionate. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> those types. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's very interesting you took it to a place that I was trying to take it to and that's the media aspect of these things and um you you mentioned this future that we're probably approaching where these new protocols and these um new groups of consensus uh start to gain popularity do yeah. you fear that there was such like the initial conditions of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology have now shoehorned it to a point where mass adoption is even that much more difficult because if these new great technologies um, come and they offer everything that Bitcoin doesn't have or everything that Ethereum can't quite do, but the mass media is always saying like, here's the newest Bitcoin in town. You know, people are really going to, or here's the newest, newest Ether trying to take the crown there. Mm -hmm. It's going to really, to me, it's going to throttle things significantly. Right. I think, the, yeah, that's uh, that goes back to this other thing that I was referring to before, which is we get these frameworks developed and and they get they get put in place early on. Right. And um, and along with the frameworks, there are some implied values. So, um, you know, for example, 
uh, immutability is critical to this crowd, right? So if somebody says, "Well, we're 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 not we're not immutable," then everybody, including me, would be like, "Okay, well, that's not so exciting anymore." Um, or something gets framed as an either or, uh, permissioned or permissionless, and that's all there is. Um, so that rules out other ways of looking at the problem. There are domains where immutability is not that important. Okay, so not everything is a financial transaction. Uh, people should be using blockchains for everything, if you ask me. And you know what? If somebody wants to change their name legally, etc., then you know some kind of a solution that allows you to do that is actually interesting. So, so you shouldn't be all that rigid. And uh, these sort of you know, if we ossify our thinking into a particular set of values, into particular frameworks, then then we'll miss out. So as an academic, part of my job is to try to sort of talk to uh, audiences and say, hey, you know, uh, I know you are being sold a particular narrative, and um, and I don't actually have to speak up to sell that narrative. I don't. I only chime up when uh, when I see that there's a discrepancy between what the public needs and what's, what it's being sold. So, so, you know, I know you've been sold a particular narrative, but there is this other thing as well, and or there is this other way of thinking about the problem, or there's other way of framing this problem that makes it more inclusive, that allows us to reach an even broader audience or to tackle use cases we couldn't before. So it's crucial for the press to be as flexible as well. So um, that other thing that you mentioned, which is framing everything in, in terms of an incumbent, the new Bitcoin, the new Ethereum, you know, yeah, these are all, uh, they, 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 they foment the incumbent in, in place, really. And uh, Bitcoin is one of many protocols. Um, I'm the opposite of a maximalist. I think we're going to see even more coins to come, and we should. And it's it's healthy and it's good. So, um so that's, that's uh, you know, the press should evaluate everything on its own merits. And it's not a zero-sum game. I also don't believe that, you know, that a new new upcoming smart contract platform might bring more value, some total, uh, instead of displacing it from Ethereum. I don't think the Ethereum community is going to switch to uh, something else, to Tezos, let's say, and start writing in Mickelson. Uh, Tezos plus Ethereum makes a better combined total uh, and one is not a competitor to the other. They can both thrive and do well. We've seen this time and time again in the dot-com. There were companies and we thought, well, how many networking companies can you have? Well, you know what? We can have so many, I've lost count. Okay, it's not a single winner-takes-all game. There will be many, many, many other people. Mm -hmm. It's going to be awesome as a result. It's great that you mentioned that. Because it only makes common sense if you if you step back and look at it. It's not like you can't go to one hardware store. You don't have to go to one hardware store to get all the screws that you need. Right. So, right. Uh, well, yeah. but you know what I worry about are these like early uh, early media outlets that got formed uh, based on the money made off of one coin. That they they tend to be slanted towards that one. So if someone got rich off of Bitcoin and uh, they're somewhat of a maximalist and they have a coin that, you know, they have a news outlet that is completely slanted. Uh, that's not quite fair to the rest of the, the incumbents. And that can create a long-standing imbalance that keeps good tech from being uh, being heard, being deployed, being used. And um, that's that's not healthy for the space. So that's not good. Um, luckily, so people shouldn't think that I'm, I'm, uh, picking on CoinDesk, I think they they are uh, they they have managed to keep their editorial policy out of their articles for the most part. Uh, so so I think they've been okay, but I worry about this on a daily basis. 
Yep. Look at us, Cello, providing shows about all the stuffs. We're we're ahead of our time. We're pioneers. So, <laughs> we're pioneers, visionaries. And we didn't say that. Uh, I said that. You I, said I was, that. So. I'll stay behind the desk. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's high praise you know i don't i want to go to one of your classes just to sit in because i bet you it's just a really good class um, I, I try to have fun with it uh one yeah. of my rules is i never no recording no broadcast etc so so then you know then we have a frank discussion and uh sometimes you know, some days I will be in a ranty, you know, there will be something, some troll on the internet will have worked me up. And <laughs> then I'll give a great lecture. So, uh, so you should time it for, you know, uh, Marcello should, uh, should, should troll me under a pseudonym. And then we should come to my lecture because then I'm not my best. Let's, let's try and work that out. <laughs> I'll take a trip to Cornell. Cello. I have enough. Yeah. Just come in and chat with us. That's fine. Um, well, I guess we can wrap it up. It was a good talk. Um, always a good talk when you come on the show. So thank you very much. Um, we've got to ask the trademark question, um, in 10 words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin? Should we go with Bitcoin cello? Uh, maybe Bitcoin cash and maybe we can get a, like a negative 10 words or less. <laughs> I'll do both. Bitcoin at the moment, at least to me, is, um, let me, 10 words or less. Um, YOLO design with interesting components. That's where I think it's headed. Um, Bitcoin Cash. Oh, man. Um, what's, what are the salient features we want to capture? They are... Um, it's, they have a singularity of vision. They are all after adoption and yet the community, it's all contrarians and, and it hasn't gelled out yet. And, and they look to, uh, certain crazy people sometimes for, uh, for leadership. So, um, and, uh, and by that, I mean a particularly colorful, crazy person who, uh, uh, who has a history of making claims that he cannot back up uh, and appropriating other people's work. So, so how do I capture all that? Bitcoin Cash is um, uh, adopt without limits. Uh, how about we put the period there? Adopt there are no without limits. limits. You can adopt Satoshi's work if you want. They're not going to hold you back. So, so that's that's what uh, what has happened there. I, I'm hoping that they will sort out their community problems, and uh, it'll be a saner, saner world. They really need to. I'm just saying, guys. We get every single time I say anything about Bitcoin Cash, it is like if it's a critique, <laughs> I just get like just the nastiest tweets of all time. If it's a praise, then it comes from the other camp. I don't know. It's just a bad situation. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they are doing a bunch of things exactly right. So, you know, the adoption is fantastic. Uh, the energy fantastic, but then uh, I was in Tokyo and I saw the entire um, episode thereafter involving uh uh, you know, he whose name I'm not going to mention because that I think fuels more of the craziness. Yeah. So, um, so if, if once I saw that, then it was actually not very good. And so they need to find their values. They, they need to find their their technical leaders. And um, they are currently, I think, chasing false prophets, and that's always dangerous for a community. Yeah. Well, you've officially been on the show three times, so we're going to send you out your members jacket. 
I appreciate oh, yeah. it. Awesome. I, I'll, I'll get a jacket. <laughs> um, hopefully. I don't know. We're, we're struggling to get a merchandise store up, but we can, hopefully. Once it's up, we'll send it to you. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the jacket, I guess. Already. I'll wear it proudly. It's I'm I'm really happy to chat with you guys. It's always fun, and uh, we touched upon a whole lot of topics. I'm sure I'll get trolls from both sides to attack me now because I I always try to say the what I think <laughs> the truth, and that is never that popular. So, but but it's fun to chat with you. Um, Absolutely awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And uh, we're back. Uh, we do so hope you enjoy that interview with Dr. Emin Gunserer. Uh, Bitcoin, what? What do you guys feel about people always saying doctor in front of their name if they're a doctor? I love it. It's the kind of good social peer pressure that society needs. Yeah. I feel like you earned yeah. it. You, you did a lot of schooling that a lot of people either opt out of or can't do it. And I feel like you earned it. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I should start doing it. I mean, I just I feel kind of like imposter syndrome, right? Like, I'm not a professor. I did teach graduate school for a little while for a hot second. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, I Yeah, you'll get the annoying. What kind of doctor are you that you'll have to answer? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's the type of work is relevant to this space, considering it's, you know, massive paralyzation. It's important for society to to know that you're a doctor. And the reason I say this is I read this book called Three Minutes After. It's an amazing book, but it's about when China nukes us and they take down uh, our, our electrical grid and society crumbles within the span of seven days. Um, but when society does crumble, people are going to need to know you're the guy with the big thinking brain. And so if you've told enough people in your local circle that your doctor Corey petty when it comes down to like hey all the electricity's gone we're thinking about murdering these people for stealing twinkies what does dr petty think and you come in you're like that's not a good idea shouldn't we shouldn't do that shouldn't people's um decision to take my advice be based on my actions and my history and not my and not the the letters that come before my name well, it's just like um, your, uh, it's like a credit report, though. People have, calm down, MLK. They don't know you, so they have to go by like your credentials and your accolades before they get to know you as a person. Yeah. Shouldn't people know me about the character from within <laughs> instead of the accolades and accomplishments I have acquired in the field of academia? Did you ever watch the Cosby Show? They never called him Mister Huxtable, not once. That shit was doctor. You come to my house, you call me doctor. Um, we're not allowed to talk about that guy anymore. You know that. Didn't you get the memo? You hey, get the memo, hey, don't you? He raped Cliff Huxtable is a fictional says. character. Bill Cosby is the rapist. It was called the Cosby Show. Touche. If your name is the Cosby, is your name is Bill Cosby, it's called the Cosby Show, but you play a different character on the show. That should have been red flag number one. All right, maybe I'll start doing that more often. Call me Dr. Petty Bitches. I'm not doing no, this No, no, you party. don't. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll call you Dr. McGregor is what I'll call you. 
DP. Um, Call me DP. Um, I, I will tip you though if you give a presentation and you do the Conor McGregor walk, the rubber, the rubber <laughs> arm walk. I will tip you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll even stand up and say, "You guys better tip that man." <laughs> um, but anyways, let's let's get on to some things that I wanted to talk about. Um, um, I would I do want to get you guys' opinion on Fortnite, but not until later in the show. Um, but the thing that I want to talk about spawned from a great conversation that I recently had uh, with Wayne. He's our resident Gandalf in our Slack community. Uh, Gandalf the White, not Gandalf the Gray. And um, I said something off the cuff that was probably a bit short-sighted. I said, uh, you know, people just don't care about crypto because they're they're lazy-minded, and it's in there. And he said this came from the fact that he said there's not enough on ramps, and I was almost taken aback. I was like, the on ramps are a plenty. There's thirty thousand YouTube personalities. There's uh, Coinbase, which is like you can get a Coinbase account probably faster than you can get a bank account. Um, there is a litany of ways for people to get onto this, and then um, I was like, they're just lazy minded, and he was like, I think that's short sighted of you to say that about millions of people because different people care about different stuff. You care about crypto, or well, some people care about the obesity epidemic, or some people care about uh, poverty. Some people care about this and they care about that and then what it ended up boiling down to is i felt a little bit not defeated but um diffused when you not diffused well that that too but um when you have been doing something for so long and then you realize you still have to do it for so much longer it's like when you hit the wall like when i, I ran a marathon many moons ago and you get to that mile where you're like wow, I still have half, I still have 12 miles to run. I really just want to lay down. Like that, that's the kind of feeling that I got. And so then I asked myself this question. Um, after I took some peyote, I said, can humanity ever resolve money also being technology? So that looks delicious, Cello. I would say yes. There's no reason why they can't. They've gotten over a lot of their predispositions in the past of what they thought something was, whether it be, if we're talking about money, what they thought money was at the time. It just takes a long time. We have People have worldviews based on how they've used money since they've been alive. I mean, we're seeing a drastic change in how children view the world now that they've grown up with the internet. But before that, they never had it. And that's something that's impossible for them to understand. But mm -hmm. something that hasn't changed for such a long time, like money, it's going to take a lot longer than a single generation for them to figure it out. Yeah, the next generation that grew up with usable crypto will be different. But we're not even to the point of like, real usable crypto, maybe crypto is money, we can use crypto as money in some ways, but it's not it's too volatile for it to be the basis of a lot of businesses. And so like, we're not going to see that type of change where it's just obvious on that's how value exchange works until it actually works. So it's going to be well for that. And so like, like you said, like you, it's a level set on where we are 
it's going to be a while until we get there and we're going to keep trudging through the entire time. But it, I mean, it's, it's the same mindset as like going on a diet. Like we didn't start this to lose weight. We started it to be healthy. Like it's, it's like people who are successful at diets don't do diets. They just change their lifestyle. Like mm-hmm. it, it, we're, we are now basically cryptocurrency podcasters forever. Because it's not like this is going to stop. Like nothing, no, no, no part about this is going to stop. When is our job done? Never. So like, we just consume and just, regurgitate and yeah, consume keep and keep trying to learn from the people who this technology, like from how this technology touches different people and learn from their experiences to then change our worldview. And because we have access to so many more people, we can share ideas. And I've been using this analogy a lot, like a lot lately with people who I try to explain the value of doing a podcast or like what I see value in what this podcast is. And that like, imagine like a, like a, a square room with a massive elephant in the room. Right. And there's like 40 people between the elephant and the wall with magnifying glasses staring at the elephant three inches away from the elephant. They're all going to see different parts of it and under, and, and then have a worldview that is constrained to what they can see. And they're all going to say, well, the elephant is this or elephant is that. And it's going to be very different depending on where they're standing in that room. Some are kind of going to kind of agree. Some are going to be very different, but you're not going to get the full picture until you talk to all of those people and, and try to understand their worldview and what they see, because they're seeing something real, but it's just never going to be the full picture because they can't stand back and take a look. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing as podcasters is trying to talk to all of those people and then build the picture of what the elephant is and then try to explain that and understand it and see where it's going. And and, and that's never going to really stop because the elephant keeps getting bigger, but people keep staying the same size. So they're only going to see a smaller and smaller and smaller portion of the elephant. We just have to keep talking mm-hmm. to people. I feel like uh, that would have been so much more powerful with a with a Wakandan accent. <laughs> there is an shit. elephant in the room, Can you, and there are three people looking at the elephant. We should, we should, you should do that. Contract that voice or do it yourself. Could you do it pretty good? And then we'll contract one of those like uh, like cartoonists that make pictures of shit, and then do a video <laughs> because I think that would be a great video. Being a cryptocurrency enthusiast right now is like there is a big elephant in the room. <laughs> That's pretty good. I should watch Black Panther like 50 times and see if I can do it. I do think you got it. I think you kind of nailed it. I don't know if I can because, you know, you, you're African. It has to come. You know, you're an African. It has to come. I, uh... I don't think I can do that voice. I did watch four interviews with Chadwick Boseman because that's a black person's name um about um uh, how he came up with the accent and so i did emulate that in my living room by myself for I some wonder, time i wonder if people who are african were pleased with his accent they were they were they were they just rave about his accent they say it's so authentic you could listen he could have been eating black panther could have been eating watermelon and everyone still would have loved that movie <laughs> whoa calm down screws stand down stand down i was i was about to say the same thing but d went or Chella went full tilt with it i was gonna say it, a little more politically correct but no nope. you can't like, hate uh-uh. on black panther you just can't yeah you just can't i mean it was a good movie though i watched um, it the other day i actually watched that one it was good i enjoyed it you know what? like you have a bad is 
terrible. Go ahead, Corey. He was really good in Infinity Wars. Know what I'm saying, D? I do know what you're saying. Corey. Um, uh, so. <laughs> Sorry. He gets turned into dust. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> right. So, uh, if the black dude goes down in Infinity Wars, it's just going to be like, all right, come on. All right, we still got Don Cheadle. We still got Don Cheadle. It's all good. We brought him up. We gave you a whole movie, and then we destroyed him. I doubt that's what happened. So, um, I want to, I guess I'll give my viewpoints. I think that people don't realize, I think when a technology is surprisingly good, people don't even realize it's a technology sometimes. Like when it makes so much sense, like a pencil, right? People would never whittle that all the way down to pun intended to the fact that it was a very, very, very superior leap in technology. There was a bunch of cavemen walking around. Well, they weren't cavemen because it's not like easy to fucking make a pencil. Or maybe they were. There's a bunch of cavemen walking around, and one of the cavemen is like, hey, man, we've got all this coal, and I was pretty drunk the other night, and I noticed some shit. I was rubbing the coal on this light piece of wood, and like I could write shit on it, and then I drew a naked picture of a homegirl. And they were like, wait, wait, wait. You've discovered something here. We can actually write down stuff. So, like, let's start journaling our hunting experiences so we know where to hunt and where not to. Can you just do like, everything in the African voice? I kind of want to just hear that. I, <laughs> I think, let me give it a shot. I didn't even listen um, to you. And so, and so money has become a technology that is so well-defined. Because it has allowed us to communicate with one another about differences we may have about the perceived valuations of different services and goods. Are you really listening? Corey, you look like you're really listening to me when I use that voice. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of analysis going on between what you're actually saying and then how you're saying it. So I'm, it's, it's, it's a lot of levels going. <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I can keep that on forever. I got to have a little bit to drink probably to keep that going. Uh, right. but, but I, I think that, and so when a technology is so good for so long and you're forced to rethink it, it's tough, but it's almost like, uh, we've come full circle is that now we have money that is technology and we need to discover this new language of how that works. So I, I think, and then another thing that Wayne said, our, our resident Gandalf the White, he said, well, we're not going to know, but since you guys have a podcast with the potential to talk to millions of people a year, you probably should be helping us define that, wouldn't you think? And I was like, damn, Wayne, keep putting me in my place. I mean, I, I've said it a few times. It, it starts, yep. and, and this is something I got, I'd say, initially from Andreas that, that seeded this, this idea was, Andreas Antonopoulos, for the few who don't know. Um, it's People will naturally rebuild what they understand using a new technology that, that transcends the previous technology. So we build the things we know. We build centralized banks. We build centralized services. We build payment rails. We build money the way we understand it. But this technology is ultimately a transcendence, a generalization of how money has worked in the past or how value exchange, which is a more general concept, has worked in the past. 
And so as people continue to rebuild the things they understand based on their previous concepts, there's a lot of things that can be done that won't be done until you have real innovation and foresight as to what this thing actually is. And that's hard to do. That's a really mm -hmm. hard thing to do to look past everything you know and try to build something novel based on what the technology allowed you to. Because one, we're constrained by what the technology allows us to actually do right now. So it's really difficult to be innovative and make something that hasn't ever existed before. But as it gets better and people, more and more people dive in, you have more and more of a probability or, or chance that someone will create something that's truly innovative. But there's going to be a lot of failed projects along the way. We're seeing a lot of those failed projects now. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be a while until somebody creates something that people actually want to use or need to use that's easy enough for them to use based on their preconceived ideas on what how easy technology should be. So it's kind of like an offset between like ease of use and need to use that use case. So if someone really, really, really needs something, they're going to go out of their way to use it. If they don't, they're just going to wait for it to be really, really easy to use based on how much it impacts their life. And so we're not quite there yet, but it's going to be a while for that innovative solution to do something that hasn't ever been done before that's approachable by those who either need it or it's convenient enough for them to change the way they live. Maybe it takes provocation. Provocation. Like maybe... Not not provocation. Maybe I don't even think that's a word. I was trying to like, maybe it is, but maybe it's um, maybe Bitcoin has to be a little bit more provocative. Pro, pro, you know what I mean? Provocative? Like provocative, provocative. Sex like that like, yeah. Like for instance, Facebook. The Facebook's like claim to fame is because Zuckerberg had zero game and wanted to put chicks make them compete for how good they look. That's not it true. was like a that is true. That's what That's it said. True. No, that was a different app. Well, that was what he that movie was with. inaccurate. Oh. Well, damn. Joe bring the truth. Okay. But I mean, if we're talking about the social network, I get your point. No, what happened okay. with social well, networks mind. was that dude, like Facebook started off as a college site. You had to be a part of a college. And it was a way for basically college kids to hook up with each other and learn about their peers. So they could so they could you know, communicate with people digitally because that was the, what the technology allowed them to do. It was the first instance of what the, the internet allowed you to do in terms of social communication that hadn't been really, really, really explored very well, or at least in a way that like things like Zanga and, and MySpace tried to do. They got we'll a have that community quarry. together. Yeah, we'd have, me and Cello were Zango friends. They had they, they got the, the, a certain specific community together, and that was college kids trying to fuck. And it blew up. It had a certain amount of threshold of use cases that like, it became more useful, more useful, more useful, more useful. People more used it. And then they slowly started to bring other communities into it. Remember when they said it's no longer a college thing? Remember how upset college kids were when their mom started joining Facebook? Yeah, that's very true. Well, that's how it got so big. They found people who needed a use case that the technology allowed them to do something that hadn't been doing, hadn't been, hadn't been done before. Why are we giving Tom credit for this? It, it all started with Tom, not Zuckerberg. Well, the, the beginnings of social networks started early on. There's a lot of you know instances of that, but none the of them had the right execution or the right marketing.
That's marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is only for college oh, kids. Yeah, it was like the uh, the bouncer that only lets a couple girls in or uh, people at a time. The leaving people out in the cold at the beginning. That's like that was a marketing technique. Only college kids can get in. Now everybody gets in. Now it's more popular because you couldn't get in before. Who's doing that now mm. in the blockchain space? Because the, the the core concept of a truly trustless decentralized network is that anybody can do it. Anybody can join. Anybody can leave at their own whim without real KYC. So it's I, I think the app. space as a whole does that. Like, oh, I didn't get into Bitcoin in 2012. Shit, I missed my chance of being a millionaire. I guess I'll get in now. A lot of people, I feel like, either missed the boat or, in fact, I was on-ramping a friend of mine this week, and he says, ah, I kind of feel like I missed the boat and I got in too late, so I'm not even going to bother with it. So there's actually people that say we're so early, and then there's people that think that the ship has sailed. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, but I think we're looking at it in, in wrong. It's not, it's, Bitcoin isn't the thing you get into. That's not the thing that's going to blow up. Bitcoin or whatever network it is, is the underlying technology that enables an application to be built that does blow up, which then makes the underlying technology successful. It's just the difference is the value capturing, where the value is held is in the base layer and not the application layer, like Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like No value was captured in the internet because when you build an application, where value is, is the information that's being stored, which is stored by centralized services like Facebook and Google. So they get all the money. But with decentralized networks that value is in the underlying infrastructure layer not the app layer so that the people who are using the apps get the value at least that's the idea and so we just need the applications to be built that blow up that enable the value to flow into the base layer to give everybody who's using the application the value it's but it's just just a technology layer right it's not it's not what it's not the thing that blows up Maybe it is. Maybe it's different. We can't we can't use the same analogy. But you still need a use case for people to use for it to blow up. You can't it can't just be a technology that exists. It has to be a technology that's used by a group of people that becomes really, really, really popular in a part of everyday life. And in that yeah. instance, they don't give a shit about the technology. They care about the use case. It's just a consequence that the technology blows up because it enables the use case. Mm-hmm. that's why we need developers that's why developers are so important and capturing the mindshare of of developers is so important for blockchain networks to blow up because the people who are creating these networks understand that they need applications in order for the underlying technology to actually be useful which is why I say go learn how to be a developer and future proof yourself if you yeah. want to do that, that's the or they speak their language. I will, that's my guarantee. That's my investment advice throughout. Go learn how to be a developer. You want to know what you, how to how to be rich in the future? <clears throat> go learn how to be a developer. Yeah, I mean that's just that's clear as day, right? The robots are going to be doing stuff, but there's going to be people that tell the robots what to do. Congratulations, you're the man.